This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Dr. Lee McGuigan and my friend Jim Durkin coming on tonight. How are you fellas doing on this fine Thursday Eve? Wednesday Eve. Turns out you're both in the same state. Uh-huh. Yeah, doing very well. Thanks for the invitation. Real good. Yeah. Jim, Jim uh, my listening audience of, of, of I think it's uh, three now. Uh, picked up a new, another one. Um, might remember from episode seven that Jim lives in Pennsylvania. But he's on, on on vacation in North Carolina, fishing for redfish, and you're gonna do a little crab trapping. Crabbing tonight, and uh, yeah, reds. That's a and, nocturnal. That's a nocturnal activity there. Yes, and it requires uh, adult beverages. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like during the day, there's there's I, there's not any alcohol typically involved in my angling and, and haunting but if i ever do any angling at night then there is why is this i guess it's because i'm i i drink every night that's why <laughs> especially when you're in walking distance to where you're staying yes there's there's definitely alcohol involved in fishing <laughs> are you who where are you staying are you staying with family yeah we rented a house in corolla uh, on the outer banks okay. which is like the northern part of the outer banks so is it okay to dispense with the the, the decorum and, and and call you Lee for? Absolutely, okay. I would prefer that. Okay, all right, well that's fine, but I want to be called Doctor Ranella. So okay. <laughs> uh, both. So I I I read your your article, your academic article of 2019, which has a very provocative title that I like a lot. This kill shot is brought to you by ellipsis, colon, an analysis of hunting television in the United States. And Jim and I just recorded an episode about hunting television and I forwarded the article to him and he read it and we were excited to talk to you, discuss it with you together. I don't know, have you listened to any of the, of the Hunt Quietly podcast? No, I haven't, I'm sorry to say. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a novice. Okay. To be honest, I haven't read my paper in a couple of years, so I might not oh, know what's in there either. Oh, we might understand it better than you then. <laughs> Quite possibly. Especially since you're probably, you have a cold, I know, uh-huh. and you're also rearing a very small child. Yeah, one very small and one... Probably quite sleep deprived. I am. Yeah, always. Has a major negative impact on 
moderate-term memory. I don't know if you know Yeah, that. that's true. But sometimes my speech improves. I can say the best lecture I ever delivered in my life was days after my first child was born. I, I stayed up the entire night because I, I thought I'll just power through. It was a terrible idea. And so I was basically unconscious, and I, I just, you know, did a fantastic job, I thought. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it was bad, but... Maybe, maybe it quieted your... Or yeah, it could be that it just makes you less discerning about your own performance. That could very well be. I don't start from a very place of high discernment about my performance. So, <laughs> so a little bit on where Jim and I come down on hunting entertainment. Jim, Jim and correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. I'm tempted to have it be that I characterize your stance on it, and you characterize mine to see how how, how good we understand each other. So I'll, I'll do you first. Would you, sure. Would you be able? To yeah, sure. Mine. Yeah. So, Jim, I think sees. I know sees value in it but is concerned about some things that transpire on a regular basis. Okay. Is that fair enough? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, you go for it. And Matt sees no value in it, uh, regardless of the quality because of your killing for content yeah killing killing for content is yep. component. another component is it's intrinsically dishonest in my view in my view yeah it has to be and i guess i'll just tell you what i mean by that very very briefly so and this is a, this is a component of your article that I'm very keen to discuss. But in hunting television, I have many problems with it. I don't. I don't aesthetically. I don't like it. I, I think it trots out wildlife, which is something I care a, a lot about. In this light, that it's using it to draw attention to oneself and sell products. And I. But there's a there's a there's an element of it that is intrinsically dishonest and that's that when 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 they wound animals they either it's either in dishonest or not right depending on what they do with the content it's either dishonest or or unfair to the remainder of the hunting community that doesn't engage in hunting so Choice number one is to not show it. And, and then um, you're lying by omission because that's the most consequential thing that happened when you were hunting. And choice number two is to show it, which then risks the future of hunting for the remainder of the hunting community that doesn't show anything. So in my mind, there's just, it's a catch 22 
They all wound stuff. Every show wound stuff. I'm absolutely certain of that. Just, they just have too long of a history with hunting to know that 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 I've wounded lots of animals over my hunting career. And we're talking about a situation where there's a camera, there's a there's pressure to generate dead animals. Yes. Uh, so they're going to be taking shots that they normally wouldn't. There's just no way that there's not wound, wounded animals. So that, yeah, and I guess by and large, that's my take on it. I also think that it increases it increases leases, leasing of, of land, and there, thereby derives the average Joe of a places to hunt because it hypes it up makes more people interested in it. Maybe they go out and do a little hunting and they're like, that sucks. I didn't see anything. That wasn't a very good area. Plus there was people everywhere. And if they have any dispendable income, the next thing you're doing is sucking up land for themselves. I also think. Plus think they're that. also hunting on most of the shows are hunt are filmed on leased land. So they're just emulating what they see. Mm-hmm. I think that's another element of the programs that I find generally dishonest is they're not very forthcoming with the information that almost all of this stuff is happening, sometimes on game preserves, but also on, um, you know, private land. And they're given this impression that it's sort of this, you know, activity that anyone can get involved into. So, you know, watch this, learn some techniques, learn about the gear, and you too can do this, but you also have to, I mean, they don't tell you, you have to be paying landowners thousands of dollars or you have to own a huge space or you have to pay for the privilege of hunting on preserves where, you know, game are stocked and fed on clover fields that are planted for exclusively the purpose of generating large animals and all that sort of stuff, which I think is not the reality that most people who hunt for recreation experience. Okay. Uh, I want to back up just very briefly. I'm. Did you write the paper as a graduate student? Yeah. Okay, so you you and and then then you were at Penn, or you were at University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was in Philadelphia. Okay, so this is so. your first adult type job. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. At, at uh, University of North Carolina. Yeah, it's my first faculty job. That's right. And what what inspired you to investigate hunting television? You're a social scientist of some sort, I, I take mm-hmm. it, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, studying hunting and media culture has sort of been like, a, it was a side project. It's not my main focus, which is why it's not something I've really looked at in a while. Um, but uh, I grew up hunting and fishing. I grew oh, up on okay. a farm and, yeah, in rural Ontario. I mean, I was steeped in hunting culture my whole life. My dad taught you know in canada to acquire a hunting license you have to go through a process of hunter education which means you have to at least in the province of ontario you have to sit for a weekend with a you know a trained expert who goes through the safety and the ethics of the whole procedure um vets you to use a firearm and stuff like that which i know is a little bit different than how it works here in the u.s um but my dad would taught those classes for years so i mean i grew up around hunter education hunter safety and the experience of hunting it's the favorite pastime of my dad and my older brother. Um, so I was around my whole life. Are you um, a hunter? I mean, uh, I, I don't have much access these days and like just 
you know, I'm not a citizen of the United States and getting equipped to do all this stuff. And I've moved around a little bit recently. So like before, I just moved to, to North Carolina about a year and a half ago. Before that, I lived in Queens in New York City. So there wasn't much opportunity there. And when I was in Philadelphia, you know, I didn't have a car or anything like that. So finding, I just didn't really have the means to make it happen. When I would go home and visit my family, I would. Um, but that doesn't happen as often, especially in the last couple of years. But so, I mean, yes, I, I still love to go hunting. Um, absolutely. Anyway, I, um, you know, I studied at university media and, uh, and commercial culture and all that sort of stuff. And I just found a lot of discomfort with what I saw in a lot of these programs. I mean, I'd seen them my whole life, often in an educational setting. So like my first introduction to hunting television was like very much didactic. Here's, here's how to not shoot somebody when you're turkey hunting, you, you know, plus all these other skills. Here's how to tie knots and use a knife Where and that sort of stuff. shows that focused on that? So that was probably more through like home video market stuff. Like, you know, this is when I was a kid. So before where I lived, we didn't have cable television or satellite television or anything like that. So, you know, I'm thinking mid nineties seeing, I, I couldn't recall the names of the programs, but, um, things that I would see at the Rod and Gun Club in my area and stuff like that. I went, I participated in like a youth uh, hunting and fishing and outdoors sort of weekly thing for, you know, for kids and teenagers to do all this stuff. And one of the components was we would watch educational films sometimes. Would they be produced by your fish and game management agency? No, I don't believe so. My understanding, again, I mean, this, I'm going back 25 years now in my life. Um, my understanding was that they were by, you know, some of the people in the same sorts of areas that you see, you see the hunting television now, um, I, you know, I can't recall well enough the details of them to say who they were. Yeah. Like Dallas Safari club would do videos like that. Educational, I believe. Um, I don't know if like any of the like real tree or mossy Oak, the Jackie Bushman, but those was are the, the buck shows. Was he the Buckmaster, Brad Bushman? Yeah. Okay, I remember that guy. Definitely yeah. had home videos of him. I, I mean, I can't remember if that's what I'm thinking of with the educational component. Um, so yeah, I just um, you know watch lots of hunting television, and eventually we did get satellite television. So I got um, in Canada. It's called Wild TV, the the network uh, broadcast there. And um, I mean, some of the programs I find interesting. I think they do it reasonably well. And some of the programs I think are, I mean, detestable in lots of ways. And so um, what I wanted to put it, put to a test was the claims. You know, I, to Jim's point, I think there are programs that aspire to be doing good things, to be educating people, to be showing the realities of it, to not, I mean, to be focused on what they would consider sportsmanship, which is like the chase and not the kill on camera. And I certainly think that that's the... Um, that's what's presented as being the justification for these types of programs. And I want to see if that was true, if you measured it. And we found that on the whole, it is not um, in the programs we looked at. One, yeah. When I read the article, it appeared to me as if you start from the premise that education and conservation 
or messages are the stated aims of the shows. But uh, unless I missed it, you didn't you didn't spend a lot of time trying to form formally demonstrate that those were the stated aims. Am I right about that? I believe you you said that they were from the channel, right? That those were the like the uh, the message from the channels. Here's where I wish I had read the paper recently that sounds like um something we that i would have found um i mean anecdotally from my just experience viewing these programs over years you hear some of those messages come through and certainly it's presented as a pretense um and i wanted to see if it was really presented substantively um because I, I mean um you know, it's on the cover and the the masthead of every magazine. Probably, it's something in the introduction of most of the shows is about the tradition. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, to Jim's point, I think that's right. That the the networks themselves. I mean, I think that hunting entertainment it starts sometimes from a defensive posture of we have to justify this activity as because we know that there are people who don't like it, and so we put the best face on it that we can, which is that it's about education and that we uphold values of conservation, um, which are things that I think people generally respect. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that the programming itself really lives up to that. I mean, are you saying, Matt, you wouldn't, you think that that is not even a, pre a pretense in most of the shows? No, I wouldn't say that. I, I was, I wouldn't say that, but I'm an academic as well. And I, mm -hmm. I just, I, I just found a, a little tension there in that there's no, like you, what you do in the paper is you analyze 42 episodes, right? So yeah. I was, I had it in my head that you would, you would, gather when your aunt when you're gathering data on the episodes you'd gather data uh, that bore on what the goal of the episodes ostensibly was and and you you you, you do you do kind of make a pretty good case that they are driving at education um but then we'll get into this but it turns out that the education piece is just riddled with ulterior motives yeah but I mean, that's a, that's an interesting question um and like a, an interesting sort of thing that we could have thought about trying to measure more specifically um i mean what we concluded was that the main goal of the programming is to feature these the products usually of sponsors and to showcase the killing and stuff like that um, and I get, I mean, I think what we, you, you're right, that we operated from this premise that we didn't necessarily try to demonstrate. Well, I guess we, we demonstrated in the negative that we operated from the assumption that this genre as a whole presents itself as upholding values of conservation, education, and tradition. That those are kind of some of the hallmarks of the way this whole, these the networks who, who distribute this programming and I think if you talk to the producers, you probably hear something about these notes too, even if they're not framed within the particular shows that as a whole hunting, you know, documentary hunting television claims to be about these things. 
Um, and then, that, you know, as you know from the paper, we didn't actually find those things really coming up in any serious way. Very little stuff about education, very little stuff about conservation. At the end of the day, I, I completely uh, accept your premise. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, it is what, I mean, that, that those messages are the mess, those, the, the conservation, the education, I mean, it, it is the premise for a lot of these shows. It's a stretch to make it with a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. When you're like Jim was talking about a couple of weeks ago with me, shooting, shooting coyotes out of helicopters at night. <laughs> or yeah, pigs and night shooting and you, you, uh, you talk about like the um, graphic footage. So did did you guys get graphic footage when you first started watching hunting TV? Because ironically, like in Canada, um, ironically, that was always one of my complaints growing up watching hunting TV is that they would show a split second of the impact and then completely turn off the the shot. Right. Um, And then it wasn't until, I don't know, Later on, they started being more graphic with their kill shots. Mm-hmm. So was that something that you guys had different up up in Canada? I'm, not that I can recall, and that's a question that I, I, if I remember, I think we maybe even gestured in that direction in the paper of like, it would be really interesting to look over time at whether and how this content has changed in terms of both the commercial sponsorship component and also the graphic nature of the killing. What you're saying sounds somewhat familiar, although I, I I couldn't say to recall in any systematic way, you know, what what the kill shots looked like when I was younger. I mean, by the time we were getting this stuff on, by the time I was watching this on satellite television, so, you know, in my teenage years, it, as far as I can remember, it was mostly of this sort of nature of like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, showcasing kill shots and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I, I do think that'd be a really interesting thing to study, especially if you get your hands on enough of the old videotapes or programs to the extent that they've been archived um, to see how it's changed. Yeah, and you could get quite quantitative about it. Yeah. You could measure things like seconds of how many seconds was the camera on a, right. a wound hole or something like that. Right. Yeah. The other thing I, they would do is show the animal like, they show a split second, go off the animal, and then show it like wobble and falling, and then would would go off of it again. They wouldn't show right. it actually fall down and die. Right. Yeah, that's a motif I'm familiar with, even though I for the most part. I I got I gotta back up real quickly and tell you, Lee, I love watching. I just think it's bad <laughs> for hunting. Uh-huh. I don't allow myself to watch. I am susceptible to the allure. It and like that was attractive to me, and and my my pleasure viewing right now is like the more educational uh, shows, uh, uh, the travel shows. Like Jim Shockey goes all over the world, goes to places that I've never even heard of, and hunts. Um, but uh, those shows are few and far between. Yeah, I can see value in that part of it for sure. You're, you're learning about like a, it's 
it's it's uh, a geography lesson. Yeah, the lens of of hunting. Um. Okay, so Jim, do you want to go first with? with uh, digging into this article a bit, or you want me to go first? Um, it's up to you, Matt, whatever you want to do. I, I have some notes and. Yeah. And I don't know if this first one's a, a more of a question or a discussion point or just a comment. But I love this in, in the, I guess it'd be the introduction. Yeah. It's the introduction section. It's, you write, before most Americans admitted, to, admitted television into their homes, hunter and ecologist Aldo Leopold recognized that the commercial influence of sporting goods dealers had turned hunting magazines into billboards for the gadgeteer. This study illustrates the prescience of Leopold's observation. And I just wonder what Aldo <laughs> Leopold would think now. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually my third question. <laughs> I'm right here, too. Actually, I wrote another paper, less quantitative, about um, hunting and consumer culture that really puts Leopold at the center. Um, so, if you want, I can send that to you yeah, sometime. Yeah, please do. I did not. I did not come across that in my. All right, your turn, Jim. Um, you talked about the uh, extensive killing um, as almost a fetish. Um, with with I guess that's viewers, right? Mm-hmm. Or or the or the the people doing it. Um, could you go into that? Because I I would wouldn't say necessarily that it was a fetish, but more like bragging, which is very very common amongst hunters. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day, you drove around with the buck back in your truck, or you'd let the deer hang for a couple days in the front yard so everybody could see it. Mm-hmm. So. If if you if you feel like expanding on 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 the fetish versus the bragging, mm-hmm. sure. I mean it, it related in in what we were trying to look at in the context of the paper to the way that the kill shots were shown in particular. I mean, so it sort of speaks to what you were talking about earlier about your memories that earlier programs would sort of um, were a little more reticent about showcasing that part of the activity, whereas now it's like clearly a central component to it. And I think you know. To the extent that these programs are intended to educate, there's there's a justification for showing the kill shot in that there is, for a new hunter, learning what is the, you know, where this is the appropriate place to shoot an animal so that you can maximize your likelihood of a humane kill. There, there's something to that that's educational within the pretense that they're setting out for them. Um, Replaying montages of it, I mean, there's, there could be a bragging about, about you know, marksmanship. There's something to that, I suppose, that you could uh, see. But I think within the whole sort of narrative structure of the programming, it takes, I mean, the way we, what we compared it to in this uh, paper is, is what uh, another sociologist had uh, described for um, particularly um, daytime talk shows as like a money shot and sort of drawing an analogy to pornography of like this moment of release and explosion that's been built up and and sort of this seductive component kind of like what you were saying Matt that it sort of draws you in and so I think the framing of the kill shots create I mean it, undeniably I think that's like the centerpiece of these shows this folk is, is is showcasing these kill shots and I think you see it also if you look at 
short clips on YouTube, right? You you don't see a seven minute clip of someone listening to birds or someone watching the deer off in the field. It, it always culminates in this in this kill shot. Um, and so there's that sort of um, similarity, I think, in narrative structure to um, that, that creates that sort of idea of a fetish around that. That's what we're getting at there. I mean, there's there's got to be a sense in which the hunting TV is just giving people what they want. I mean, they want that. That's what that. That's what they want. What? So I guess what? I mean, this isn't what your article is about. It's not. It didn't, wasn't an exploration of people's motivations for wanting to see that. For me, I guess the reason I want to see it is because it simulates like the most exciting thing that happens in hunting that mm-hmm. second where you get one. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, it'd be interesting to ask non-hunters if it, if that, if the kill shot is in some way, like gets their heart rate elevated. No, that'd be interesting. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that it is the adrenaline rush of the whole experience. Right. Um, now, I think you could also argue that I've, I've got to imagine, and I'm just speculating here, but there are some people who hunt to find the killing to be one of the harder parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for me personally, I've had that experience. Um, there are other aspects to hunting that I enjoy more than that moment. I mean, not denying that it's exciting in lots of ways. Um, there are other elements to the whole yeah, to the outdoors activities that I think you could also focus. So it's a choice to focus on these things, whether it reflects the, you know, the appetites of most hunters is an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. I suspect you're probably right. Um, it would be interesting to study that and to study non-hunters perceptions of that. That would, I think that would be a really interesting thing to look at. There's gotta be something resembling a, a, like a evolutionary process at work, which over time it, it would be, hunting TV would become more and more unwittingly like precisely designed to, to pique the interest of the viewer mm-hmm. so that it's not an accident that the, 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 the shows are replete with kill shots. I would guess, uh, you know, I would think with non hunters, so one thing I've observed with over the years with children that's fascinating to me, I'd be curious to hear if you guys have seen this too, is that it's almost like it's Mendelian inherited, like it's controlled by one gene or something. There are kids that are rabid about hunting. And in the same household, there'll be other kids that are completely disinterested mm-hmm. i even have one friend who has two daughters he doesn't hunt but it turns out that one of his two daughters has the bug mm-hmm. and i i wonder it almost seems like you could you could it's just a bizarre like a, a, a suggestion of like a, a, a 
uh, it'd be, it's a curious null hypothesis of mine. You could, you could take young children and show them a kill shot and measure their heart rate and based on their heart rate, predict whether or not they'd end up being interested in hunting or not. Maybe. I mean, I, my experience was a little bit different in that everyone in my household hunted, but I think we all f- felt differently about it, which is also like, a, it's, it just like, I love to go hunting. My brother absolutely loves to go hunting. We love to go hunting in different ways. Um, yeah, explain that. Well, it's just like, I think we, uh, I mean, sometimes we just don't get along as brothers sometimes do. So that might be, you know, a confounding variable in this whole thing. But um, I think we sometimes take joy in different parts of it or are more inclined toward different elements of it and have different objectives, um, even though we're both, you know, doing the same activity ostensibly. Do you think he's more fixated on success than you are? Well, he's a lot better than I am at it. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I I'm, I am generally pretty relaxed about that and most things. And so, you know, I um, was probably more interested in being outside a lot of the time, um, watching wildlife and stuff like that, which is not to say that, you know, my brother and I don't get along with hunting. I enjoy hunting with them and, uh, especially more recently as we fight less now as adults than we did as teenagers. Thank God um, it worked out the way it did. Could you imagine if you were the one that was rabid about getting something? Mm-hmm. He didn't care, but he was the one that was always getting it. Like, like he'd be annoyed with me? Uh, no, you'd be annoyed with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. If well, I mean, I think like, we're both- I, I really want to get one. He's like, I don't care. I'm just here for the experience. But right. then he was the one that always got it. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to the article. Jim, what do you got? Um, so a lot of you talked about of the verbiage of some of the hunting TV personalities. And this is one of my pet peeves. Um, I absolutely hate when they kill something and say big buck down or bbd or smoked him if i hear smoked him one more time i'm gonna kick my dog mm-hmm. uh, i can't stand it you could have gone into that a lot more what what some of the things that you looked at that maybe didn't find the article yeah i mean that's a great point uh you, what we tried to do with this paper was just very, I'm really just descriptive of counting some of these elements that we thought were interesting. And as a side note, we took down these qualitative observations about the color of some of the language. I mean, you could write a lot about that. And I mean, I think that's, I don't know about the language exactly, but there is a little bit of research out there of like the way people, more about magazines, really, the way that the killing is framed and the presentation of the animal that, you know, it doesn't capture the language exactly, but still speaks to the sort of bravado and the like, you know, the kill shot is the accomplishment, um, which I think relates also to the fetishism component in certain ways. I mean, from the standpoint of adjudicating whether or not these programs live up to their stated values, I think what that betrays is a general disrespect for nature, um, or at least not in respect to the extent that they claim. Um, I mean, you're setting up the animal as, I mean, at best antagonist, but more like just an object that's 
Yeah. You need to satisfy this need that you have both to kill it and to get that on camera. And I think there's some language that we, we documented of like, you know, if you don't get a kill shot on camera, it's not really a show and stuff like that. Well, that's <clears throat> what I was going to ask you too. Like, I'd love to measure the language for marginal kill shots because there are times where they freaking gut shot animals and they're like, Oh, he's done. Or I smoked him," And they're happy as a clam on high tide when I'd be panicking. If that were me in real life. I mean, I think that speaks to the point Matt was bringing up early on about the dishonesty of the shows. I mean, this is not something that I could really, it's not accessible to me to know how successful their shots are at humanely killing the animal. Um, but I would just say my sense anecdotally is that I've seen a lot of shots on these shows that did not kill the animal. And yet next scene, there's a dead animal. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, I think that's part of the show business of the whole thing. I mean, I, again, I can't, this is speculation. I can't claim to know for a fact that this is happening, but it does seem to me that there's been lots of, I've seen lots of, you know, especially in deer hunting, that's probably the paradigm here. Uh, you know, bow hunting shots that just don't seem like they should certainly not going to kill a deer in any like short time frame. Um, and yet that's the way it's portrayed. Yeah. In my experience with hunting TV, there's, there's cover-ups um, in my personal experience, but, uh, but you could guess that you could, you just guess that in advance. I mean, there's, there's, there's the ratio of kills to shots is not is, is not representative of real hunting. Mm-hmm. I, I I know somebody that worked for an outfitter for a number of years, and he he told me a story one time about this hunting personality. If I could remember this guy's name, I'd say it. I mean, I, I don't. I, I just don't feel compelled to protect these people. I just can't remember his name, but he had a hunting show and he's hunting with this outfitter. And this guy I know is watching him from afar. And while he's sitting in a tree stand hunting deer and he watches him wound two deer and they don't recover either of them. And then after the guy, then the guy leaves and after a couple of days after he leaves, this guy finds a third arrow that demonstrated that he had wounded a third deer one day. Mm-hmm. And then a few days later after that, he found one of the deer and calls up the host of the show and says, yeah, we found one of the deer, and the guy <laughs> says, "Oh, great! We'll uh, clean up the skull, and that'll be the one I got on the episode." Oh, great! <laughs> that I mean, that's just what, <laughs> what yeah. all these shows are. I mean, that's what they do. I mean, it's 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 callous, it's wasteful, and I mean, the, the really the the sharp point of this whole thing is that what this what these programs I think demonstrate is the way that um, hunting culture, particularly mediated hunting culture, really becomes the opposite of what it pretends to be. That 
Um, and it's not even in its worst moments anymore. I think in lots of ways, it's like the mainstream of the hunting culture that's portrayed on these shows. It is actively anti-conservationist. It is not respectful of the environment or of animals. It, I mean, it's a menace to, to the survival of wildlife and to the habitats on which they live, um, particularly with the consumerist component of all this. It's promoting a way of life that is just not sustainable for these animals to continue living. Um, and so I find it disingenuous. Um, you're you're talking not, about like people buying way more crap than they need, that kind of thing? Just the whole, I mean, that's part of it, definitely. I mean, the way that this whole thing has been gadgetized and I mean, just the amount of, I mean, you can probably put a fossil fuels emissions number on the harvesting of meat by recreational hunting, particularly the type of stuff that's showcased in these programs. And that's part of why I don't, I, I'm, I'm a little bit averse to some of the travel shows too, just because I think that's, um, there's, there's environmental cost to that. While I can see your point about there's educational value to it as well. Um, it just, it gives me a lot of discomfort to the extent that this thing that purports to be about conservation is you know, destroying the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing, one nut and bolt I wanted to, talk to you about was the it was the right in the beginning of the results section oh let's talk a little bit before we get into that you you watched these your the your quasi random sample of episodes mm-hmm. first of all i say after watching 43 episodes of hunting shows that they need to do a study on you it was it was it took a long time uh did you watch it alone uh i think probably i mean i maybe my wife sat down for for a minute or two but i don't think she wanted any part of it i watched most of it in my office coding the data uh well my co-author coded i think i can't remember exactly i think she coded like uh i'm sure it said somewhere in here what percentage uh, she coded. Uh, she she did thirty re- episodes randomly selected, so that we could establish validity that we both counted the same thing. Uh, but I I, I I coded everything myself, and okay. then she coded thirty of them, and we found that we were in agreement enough that we could extrapolate from that that my coding of the rest of the sample was satisfactory. I see. So, would you would you like explain? what what it is you were measuring about the shows yeah so uh really there were two two themes we were interested in one was the killing on camera and that we had i think two measures uh one was what we called kills which was like the number of animals that are killed within like the narrative or the drama of the show so you know an episode that's you know uh, we're going to quebec to bear hunt um and we shoot a bear that's the kill of the show. But during that show, you might also see other animals depicted as killing, maybe in the montage at the start of the show or a preview of the next show or things like that, or even previewing material from later on in the show. Like at the start of the show, we show the the killing of that bear and then show it later. And so that was a measure we called kill shots. So those are the two. So you could have the same, the same, Footage of the same animal getting 
killed twice, and that would yeah. count as two. It would count as two kill shots and one kill. Ah, and then, okay. So, like, I mean, you know, lots of these shows, they have, like, a, you know, a theme song at the start, right? And they show you the greatest hits of the animals that they've killed. So those those would all rack up in kill shots mm-hmm. if they showed us that. I think you said, like, the average was, like, nine kill shots per kill or something like that? Yes, yeah, that sounds... Plausible. Like, I, I, they'll show it nine it. times for each animal killed. They'll show it nine times. Not necessarily each animal. Um, okay. So it's not necessarily that they're showing the same footage nine times. It's that throughout the course of the episodes, there were nine times as many kill shots as kills, which is so like, you know, in Got the montage, let's say, let's say the episode features one animal being killed. Um, and they, sh- you know, at the start, they tease that by showing it being killed so that's two kill shots. And then on next week's show, they show the animal that's being killed there. That would be three kill shots with one kill. So it'd be a three to one ratio of kill shots to kills. Gotcha. Gotcha. All those kill shots. And then. Oh, and then this, then there's the commercial side. Uh, so there we were yeah. looking at um, product placement, brand placement, brand integrations, that sort of stuff. Um, the paper goes into some details about how we looked at that. We tended to do it fairly conservatively, which is to say that um, there are a few other examples where uh, researchers have tried to quantify um, product placements and programs or brand placements and programs. And they generally use the more liberal coding instrument than we would have, which is to say they would have counted more things than we did. Um, so like there were some instances where, you know, a brand logo is appearing every other second for 30 seconds. And we were counting that one time, potentially, depending on the circumstances, which we describe in the paper. Um, So, you know, and and also acknowledging that just as a matter of course, this programming is going to show people using branded equipment sometimes. um, And that that's not necessarily like showcasing it um, in a commercial way, it's just the fact that people use equipment when they oh, do yeah. these activities. It'd be, it'd be hard to have a hunting show, right? Left, you'd have you'd have it take a lot of duct tape. Exactly. Uh, so as as long as you know, if we could see a brand logo, but it wasn't like made a center of attention, we, we didn't count that. So like you've got real tree on your hat, but it's not the it's not a close up on it. We didn't count that. Um, so you know, we counted a whole lot of product placement. I mean, some of these programs and. You know, it, it happened that our sample included this one show called uh, Hunting with Hex, which is basically just an advertisement. I got yeah, the that, paper I, that's more like an infomercial. Yeah, it is. It really, really is that. Um, so that was just nonstop. Um, but there were, there were others that had huge amount of commercial um, placements also. In, in um, the 42 shows... You say you counted 364 unique sponsors. Is like that unique companies? Yeah, right. Uh, and there were, in this 42 shows, there were 1,566 total commercial mentions. Uh, on average, episodes featured 13 sponsors and 37 commercial mentions. Hard to argue that 
Sorry, I can't. I'm having trouble hearing you right oh, now. I said, oh, I'm sorry. It's, uh, I was saying I, I, it's hard to argue that hunting isn't highly commercialized with stats like that. Oh, yeah. Do you have to? Uh, did those you were a little saying? jarring, but not surprising. Yeah, right. Especially given our last discussion. Right. Yeah. Right. Then it, it, you do get into, you do say, you do talk about the incidents of mentioning safety and and education and mm-hmm. conservation to some extent. You say a whopping five episodes mentioned safety, four, four of which were related to explicit endorsements of products, yeah. which I take it are products that could be construed in some way as safety products. Right? Under safety system. <laughs> Seven shows or 16% discussed environmental conservation in some way, which was probably something along the lines of plant food plots because you'll get bigger racks or something like that, I guess. But then the pursuit of trophies was declared as a motivation for hunting in at least 38%. That seems low. I would have thought it'd be higher than that. So good. Yeah, no, I mean, we were, that was another place we were kind of conservative, but they had to say it pretty explicitly. Yeah. Um, But I mean, I think it's, it's a high finding when you consider the extent to which when pressed, most of these people, I think would disavow that claim that they're hunting for trophies um, because generally that's the thing that the population at large is, finds very unpopular. The people don't like the idea of trophy hunting very much at all. Um, and so my sense, um, and again, it's, I, to be honest, I haven't really been paying much attention to this world in recent years, um, uh, which happens when you have kids, you don't pay attention to much stuff anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, they, trophy hunting is not something that they want to put up front as like, here's what we're doing. So the fact that almost 40% of the shows featured that, you know, said it, even though I'm sure that in their promotional materials, they're not going to want to put that label on their program. I still think that's fairly significant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that they, they're, 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 they're reluctant to say that it's a trophy hunt. But then when you look at what they kill, it's stuff that it's every hunter's wet dream. Well, and I mean, the, the, the language that Jim was talking about, that to me totally suggests that their primary goal is, you know, getting a big buck down. Like, that's the thing. Oh, absolutely. Or, or, or the, they'll, they love to use, oh, we're after not a trophy, but mature deer mm-hmm. or a mature mm-hmm. buck. And then a mature buck comes in that has two tines broken and then they don't shoot it. They pass on it. We'll get them next year. So yeah, it's all about uh, language and, and, and contradictory because they don't Mm -hmm. follow what they preach. I just, I just filmed a, or filmed, recorded an episode with a guy that, that uh, manages country music country musicians and a couple of them have hunting show had hunting shows mm-hmm. and through this involvement he went to shot show a couple times and he and i 
my ignorance about hunting TV is pretty embarrassing, but I didn't realize until this discussion with him that most of these shows are paying for airtime. Did you guys, you guys knew that? Yeah. Did you know I, that? I did. No. Yeah. So <laughs> these shows, you go to the network and say, we mm-hmm. want to buy up this time. Mm-hmm. And then the way they make money, the show is they go to shot show and other shows and they try to find people to sponsor their show. Right. But I didn't really, yeah. I thought that was one of things. Yeah. I saw a quote that it's anywhere from 50,000 to $200,000 a year for, to have a show. Is that including production costs? Or is that, or is that just, just the airtime probably, right? I would say it's probably just the airtime, yeah. but I don't know for sure. The quote wasn't detailed enough to to gather that information, but. I like your narrative about like how you say that it's kind of, it's, that that's that they all all these shows follow the script mm-hmm. <laughs> and you did it it's really well written and <laughs> thanks and uh and and it um it accords with my experience so well of what of how that works uh oh yeah it's in the section staging a kill shot and i don't know how much of this to read but well, i'll read a bit of it uh, when I say I don't know how much to read, I just don't know how much of this would be interesting to listen about. But I think it's great because this just totally nails it. Most shows follow a consistent pattern. After a message from the presenting sponsor, narration and or preview scenes introduce the episode, indicate, indicating what will be hunted, where and how. This frames the hunt dramatically often inviting anticipation by staging the moments immediately before a kill shot, but then withholding the conclusion. Most shows proceed through a montage characterizing the series more generally, its hosts, the featured styles of hunting, and the personality of the show. This features musical accompaniment or voiceover narration, and often it showcases the host's resume of kill shots so when you say that you mean like it just it's showing the kill shots you're from past episodes yeah right (laughs) this introductory material culminates in a fuller list of sponsors the first act concludes as the host addresses viewers presents a narrative look and prepares to set out into the field oh i'm tempted to keep going but (laughs) it's just there's I invite the I invite the the listeners to get a hold of this this article just to read that that section because there's a bunch more, and it does it, it really drives home that they are following this rote script with these shows, and somehow people never get sick of seeing that script. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, to be if I was being generous, there. There's some justification to some of that because there are particular types of hunting that I think, you know, are in a way choreographed, right? 
where there's the calling, like you think of turkey hunting as sort of a classic example of this. There's like a sequence of steps that are supposed to unfold for the hunt to go the way you want it to. You want to hear gobbling, you want it to come in strutting. And there's all these elements that, um, I mean, a great deal, I think, of recreational hunting is somewhat stylized, or at least there, there are like elements of it that people take enjoyment in that, you know, follow a particular script. Mm-hmm. I think it's amplified to a significant extent in these programs. And I mean, in these programs, it's almost like cookie cutter. Everyone basically looks the same, Yeah, which is not, not how hunting goes for me. And 50% of my turkey kills, the son of a bitch won't calm in and I got to belly <laughs> crawl up there and whack him, but they never show, they never show that. Yeah, I'll show those ones. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, they get, they get turkeys every time. My experience is, yeah, I've got turkey hunting so much where it goes ass up. Um, like, I don't know. I mean, I actually did get to go turkey hunting for the first time in years when I, I went to visit my family a couple months ago. And it was all calamities. You know, I had a turkey five feet away, but right behind me, I didn't even see it. Mm. You know, that, that's my experience of turkey yeah. hunting. Did you end up getting one? No. Um, I, I had a very short period that I could be out and with, two small kids I can really only go for two hours at a time so I didn't get to put in you know bankers hours to really press for one are you are you a turkey hunter Jim I I am yeah I'm not very successful (laughs) (laughs) my my turkey huntings usually involve uh a lot of putts and the turkeys going the opposite way yeah 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 Yeah. I, I took me a long time to learn like that was that that was a turkey making that sound. I was I just thought that was the sound of the bush. The whoop, whoop, yeah. Whoop, yeah. And then, yeah. And then I saw one doing that while it was running away from me. I it's funny that sound could be a good thing. It could be it could be they use it uh, <coughs> alarm and they but they also use it in, uh, in other contexts. I mean unless it's there's some subtle difference, but I hear them do that when they're not alarmed as well. Um any other questions about the article, Jim? Yeah, I, I have a few. Um, going back to the, the language, um, in the article, you you sort of um, talk about uh, some characteristics of the hunting personalities and maybe the audience as being conservative. Um being a nationalist and, and, and um, going back to what the host would say, some of those things that uh, you talk about, I'm a killer. Um, the guy from Relentless Pursuit. Mm-hmm. I'm a killer. Yes, I am. Do you think that folks feel comfortable saying crazy things like that on national television? Because the audience is narrow uh, in their viewpoints and they can get away with it? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think probably there is something to that. Um, that that's not... Yeah, I mean, obviously this, this reaches a pretty narrow segment of the television audience in the United States. Um, I mean, the population yeah. of hunters is pretty small, really. Um, and I got to think the population of hunting TV viewers is even smaller. And I mean, I think 
you know, it's what you're getting at here is a bigger issue that I think is one of the things that concerns me most, which is the way that this programming is wrapped up in, um, you know, a broader cultural movement that I see as being uh, extremely dangerous. Um, I mean, I don't think it's uh, really that controversial to say that, you know, being part of hunting culture has become almost synonymous with being um, right wing in lots of ways. I mean, it's not exclusively so. Obviously, there are exceptions to this. Um, but, you know, I mean, one of the things I'm really interested in is the way that camouflage has become like this signal that um, is not, it's not about hunting, but it's actually like a, cons- well, I mean, it's about hunting, but it's a conspicuous marker of your identity and your inclusion in this, in a particular political and cultural group, um, which, I mean, obviously tends toward uh, being Republican, being white, um, and having a particular set of ideas about the way of the world. And I mean, uh, as a relative newcomer to the United States, I'm seeing just how crazy those things can get. So um, I found I mean, out that- about your article by reading an article by Daniel, Daniel Nagel and her co-author. Um, and the title of the article was uh, Conservation Dressed in Camouflage. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. But there's a long subtitle to it. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, you might. It's a- yeah, that sounds great. I'd be interested in that. Because, I, I mean, I do think that's one of the things I'm interested in. It's just the way that this is wrapped up in sort of larger uh, cultural formations, group identities. Um, that I think are really troubling. Well, I was thinking like if you were a, an anti-hunter and you got a hold of somebody who's saying that I'm a killer, that would be uh, fuel for the fire on the other side of the fence against hunters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I remember correctly, that that show was bizarre. I mean, that like just it was a nonstop horror show of, of killing. I think the guy was even, I mean, I may, I may be getting this wrong, but if I remember correctly, he's like throwing spears and like killing. I don't know. It was pretty crazy. So, I mean, yeah, that guy would scare just about anybody I would think, although maybe not um, the way politics are here. these days. I guess if you um, buy the airtime and I, I'm sure that outdoor channel sportsman's channel sportsman's channel. What's the other big one that you mentioned in your article? There's a third one. That- uh, there's wild TV in Canada, but I don't know. Oh, there was another one that I Pursuit think is TV. The, that's the, the one, one I couldn't Pursuit. remember. Yeah. Right. But I don't think, is it still I'm sure operated? Sure. Did it shut down? Uh, no, it's still, still, still running. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm I mean, there's some shows. Some... Go ahead. Yeah. There, I think there are some shows, you know, to our, our conversation earlier, there are some shows that are, um, you know, um, solicited by the networks or sponsored in part by the networks. So I think there's got to be some vetting of some of that, but I don't think they're like, I don't think they worry about uh, anti-hunters watching this programming and saying mean things or anything like that. Yeah. There's got to be some (laughs) amount of content moderation by the network. I would, you couldn't just do absolutely, can't be complete carte blanche. Mm -hmm. To watch a little bit of it, you'd almost think it was. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what it looks like now. I'd be curious to know. I, I, like we did this. I can't remember now. Was it 2016 or 17? I think it's 2017 that when we actually collected and did it. Um, 
so like how much this has changed as the political landscape has only gotten more bizarre. And, you know, this is not to say that like um, all people who, who hunt are like insurrectionists against American democracy or anything like that. Oh, but a lot um, of people I know that hunt, including people that make hunting TV are some of the most wonderful caring yeah. people yeah. I've ever conservation minded people right. I've ever met. Absolutely. I think that the companies, a lot of the companies, their, their motivation. I mean, a lot of the, with a lot of these other people, I'd say it's just got to be the case that they care first and foremost about making money. And they don't give a sh- what ticks me off is they don't give a shit about the hunting community. Mm-hmm. They re- they don't. They they yep. it's you can you, you there's, it's just impossible to make the case that they care about Joe Schmo, the guy that's been hunting his whole life, because everything they do is antithetical to yeah. the future of that person's hunting of your your average guy's hunting. And still, it, what it, the what I'm trying to get at with this podcast is like start. Okay. Average guy like me that loves to hunt and is extremely passionate about it. Can't stop thinking about it. And it it consumes your every waking moment. This thing that you devote your life to just look out for your own self-interest and disconnect from all that crap. I know Jim sees it differently, but. (laughs) (laughs) no i i told you before everything you say it's like i can't disagree with you even though i like it doesn't make it right necessarily um and then when you start talking about killing for content i i I think it's horseshit i I think it's awful and people do it all All the time time and i think even more i mean i don't know what it's like now but i gotta think if you go to youtube and look up deer hunting you're gonna find somewhere in the millions of of you know self-made hunting shows of people killing well and another thing that i i dilate on in in this podcast is hunting hunting so uh social media hunters hunting hunting influencers and there's there's a there's very clearly a very, a strong positive correlation between the number of sponsors they have and the quality of the sponsors they have in terms of the companies are et cetera, et cetera, and the number of carcasses they generate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we talked about that before, Lee. Uh, where like about six or seven years ago, I, I made a comment online about this guy. He shot his 22nd elk or no, excuse me, his 62nd elk in 18 years. And that's so, so it's like three and a half elk a year where most people don't even get the chance to shoot one elk in their lifetime. They mm-hmm. might, if it wasn't for him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the social media component of it, I think is really fascinating. It's something I, I do hope to come back and study more. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of research to be done. And most of the research on hunting is in like, 
rural sociology or things like wildlife management, or there's a little bit of stuff in like ethics and philosophy. And it's interesting stuff. Um, I think there's, there's lots of work to be done on looking at hunting as like a political, a, a political constituency and, and uh, like a, a popular culture, like a subcultural formation. And I think the social media is a really interesting place to look at that, of like the mediation of hunting as a subculture. And so that's something I, I do want to study. There's more so much that, you could, that if, if I didn't have a full-time job that I loved as a researcher and could just devote my time, there's so many things that would be instructive to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a narrative among the nonprofits that is completely unsubstantiated that the number of hunt- hunters are in precipitous decline and we need to recruit more of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite strongly convinced that that is an expectation of their industry sponsors. The nonprofits are like a, they become, they do, some of them do very important work and some of them mm-hmm. are they're there, but at the same time, they've become the advertising arm for the hunting is. Mm-hmm. Because you, if they if they bring more people into it, those new people that, that they don't have any gear, so they're yeah. a windfall. Another right. thing that's very interesting to me is that I that could really inform the future of hunting, and I don't know if that's really what your goal is, or make society better, make society well informed, like what the what the fundamental goal of the research is that you're doing. And it'd be interesting to hear about that. But I, I very strongly believe that there's a causal connection between the amount of hunting TV, the amount of social media, media traffic around hunting and the amount, number of acres that are leased up and locked up, taken out of play for the average hunter. And, and, and so that, people of means can have many, 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 many acres all to themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really interesting question to look at. Yeah. Lee, what, what extent do you think that these hunting shows that were like, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like the worst of the worst, like the biggest offenders for mm-hmm. commercializing the kill shot, what do you what extent do you think that they would exist if the sponsorship went away? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that you know the, the most the ones that feature the most products would go away because that's their whole purpose is to showcase all those products. Um, I mean, the guy who says he's a killer and uh, maybe he's still filming himself killing things no matter what. Maybe he's in it for the love of the experience. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think the TV apparatus is, is largely about making money, obviously. Um, it has cultural ramifications too. I mean, I think there's, it's, it's interesting as a cultural artifact, I think just not only the, the portrayal of hunting, but these ancillary little elements of culture that get sprinkled in, you know, I mean, people like Ted Nugent are the, like the big sparkling examples of this, but there's just like these undercurrents of what sort of culture is informing these things um, in some cases. 
and the ways they intersect with some other forms of entertainment, like you mentioned, country music, professional wrestling is another interesting one. And then sometimes even political figures, like you'll see Sarah Palin on, I remember seeing her on shows and maybe other people are doing this since, since I've, I looked at this. It'd be interesting professional to know. wrestlers are into it. Yeah. There's at least a couple that have had TV shows or, or, you know, were guests on TV shows that I've seen. Hmm. Uh, Jim, do you have more questions? Because we'll keep going. If not, I want to. I have a, a question I want to ask, like a, a parting question. But we can talk for as long as you guys want. I probably can't stay for too much longer before um, I'm just fall asleep sitting here. <laughs> uh, one quick question. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're so riveted by the conversation. <laughs> is that? Is, I promise it's not the conversation. It's the six month old baby. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I'll keep it quick. Just one, well, yeah, one quick we'll start question. Yeah, we'll start I got one question. Jim's got a little bit, and we'll let you go. Um, you talked about very few of the shows did meet the conservation, the education, um, environmental value. Um, how many? Like, what percentage? Or and and what what about those shows? Um, met that cri- those criteria that you've mentioned? To, I mean, to be honest, I can't recall the specifics of what there was. I, I think it was pretty small, you know, yeah, like, you, it was um, in the single digits of percents of what we looked at that, that hit those notes very hard at all. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, maybe to take the question in a slightly different direction, you know, you know, to think about like, what would be a model of this type of programming that would have, value um and i think there there is a way to do it that that celebrates humans interconnection with nature and the understanding that that hunting is not just about extracting resources from this thing like there's an endless supply but it's about understanding you know how people depend on the environment and ecosystems and the delicate balance of existing on planet earth um which is something that hunting can accentuate for people i think it it puts into you know stark relief how we exist and rely on sources of protein and just i mean just the exposure you get from hunting to various forms of wildlife i think is an education for lots of people that could be beneficial so you know highlighting those things not demanding that every show culminate in a kill and i think there were a couple shows we saw that you know, that showcase people trying and struggling and and failing, and that's okay. Um, I mean, that's that's why it's hunting and not killing, right? The shows should be better called killing TV. I mean, this is something my dad always says. That's why we call it hunting and not killing. Or that's why we call it fishing and not catching, because, um, you know, it's the, the experience of the whole process that um, is really enriching. Um, my, my so, you bro- know, so my brother, you know, he has the show Mediator, and we're trying not to talk about each other. Uh, sure. But, but uh, you know, they have a lot of episodes where they don't kill anything. Right. Randy Newberg, you know who he is? No, but, I mean, I have seen some of these shows. I think there's been somewhat of a reaction against, you know, this thing that we documented so clearly that people are yeah. disgusted with. It I too. would say with Mediator and, and with, bo- with both with Randy and Mediator – it's it's because they're 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 more thoughtful shows, mm-hmm. right? So that was never their intent mm-hmm. to have it be like 
um, a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So anything else, Jim? Cause I got, I got a comment no, I'm, question. I'm good. I'm good. The, the, the comment is Lee. Um, I would love, if you decide to do more research on hunting culture, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some kind of like somebody that's an expert on hunting culture or I'm a guy that's concerned about the future of hunting enough mm-hmm. to start having some conversations. That's who I am. But if you, but if you, if you want to talk to two guys that think a lot about the future of hunting and as you determine your research objective, I'd love to give you my two cents for what it's yeah. worth. For what I it's love worth. that. Well, it's worth two cents. Um, the other, and then the question is, I'm curious, what is in your wheelhouse these days? What are you investigating? For research? Mm-hmm. Um, most of my research is on um, the history and political economy of, of advertising and media industries. So um, for the last couple of years, I've been writing a book about um, what people today call ad tech, which is like, you know, the sort of infrastructures that collect and process data online and serve advertisements online and all that sort of stuff. And so I've I've written a history of that um, and the way it, the, the longer, I mean, this is probably super boring for your other listeners. So no, I'm, I'm that. trying to, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't care if it is or not, because okay. I mean, it can't just be about beating on the same six issues every freaking, yeah. you know? So, so I mean, I'm, tra- I'm I mean, trying to think of these things as conversations with real yeah. people. Right. Talk about what they're, what the people are all about, you know? Right. So, well, so I'm, I mean, there's no sideboards on where we go with this. Other um, than I mean, hunting instruction, I don't want any hunting instruction. Okay. Or anything that inspires more people to hunt. Okay. Well, so I mean, I'm interested in media. I'm interested in consumer culture. Um, and personally, I'm interested in hunting. And so I'm interested in the intersection of those things. My primary research is more on the first two it's on the advertising industry, it's on technologies computers, data, from from like a social and cultural standpoint, all that sort of stuff. But I think there's lots of interesting research to be done on, you know, the mediated culture of hunting in the United States and abroad too, but I'm, I'm not going to claim to know anything about, I'm, I'm not a super well-traveled person, so I just know what I know. Um, we, I think it'd be fantastic if that's where you went in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's... We need, that, we need it. We need it. I, I think, I think that the kind of hunting I, I care about, which is where you don't pay for access, mm-hmm. pub, public land hunting is dying. And Quickly. I mean, where I grew up, it's dead. There's, there's nothing. I mean, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, so quickly. I, I'm doing advocacy, but the advocacy would be better if it was well-informed. So we need people like you, you know, <laughs> to gather facts and mm-hmm. analyze them. Um, so I don't know. The, I'm I'm pleading with you to c- continue. Well, yeah, I'll get in touch with you whenever I circle back to this this stream of work. 
I mean, it, it, which I do hope to do in time. It, 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 well, it's 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 impactful work. It would it would impact five percent of the people in this country. <laughs> yeah. So. And is your article available uh, for for um, non academic? Um, uh, that's like can other people can people access? In, I didn't log into my adjunct professor account or anything to get it. I was able to just go You're able to access it. Go to Google, gotcha. okay. Go to okay, Google great. Scholar and and download it. Yeah. Good. I mean, I don't know the answer, but it sounds like Matt does. That's great. I mean, I'm happy to send it to anyone who wants to read it. I believe that knowledge should get shared around. So I'm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's interesting to everybody, but oh, it's yeah, great. If anybody's interested and can't find it, just reach out to me at, at huntquietly at gmail dot com, and I'll I'll provide a copy. Mm-hmm. All right, gents, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was a great discussion. I really uh, appreciate you thinking about this with me and discussing your research, Lee. Mm -hmm. Jim, thank you for your thoughtful questions. Um, As always, it's just very, this this turned out, this is my 20-something episode, and all of them have just enjoyed the discussions. It makes it worthwhile to talk to, to, to thoughtful people. Thanks for the invitation, and I'll, I'll be sure to keep in touch as I do more work in this area. Yeah, and good luck with your little one. And, <laughs> Thanks. And uh, get your vitamin C. Yeah. All right. Good night, you guys. Yeah, Matt. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.